This edition of Detroit Today was pre-recorded. And welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson. And as always, I'm really glad you've decided to join us today. I need to start today's show with a confession. And I'll be honest, it's not an easy one to make. But here goes. For at least the last 40 years, I have struggled in really deep and profound ways with mental health. I've been in treatment for much of that time, but also have spent long stretches without any aid at all, trying to make sense of it all on my own. I've reached really, really dark lows that required sudden interventions. I've had to peel away from the duties of school when I was younger, work when I was older, and even parenting at times because of these struggles. They are disruptors and often frightening ones for me and sometimes for the people around me. After 40 years, I know this is just part of who I am an important part. And if there's one thing I've really learned over these four decades, it's that the most crucial part of my mental health struggles is recognition. And in some ways, it's the hardest. The truth is that my mental health struggles have serious and complicated roots, traumatic things that happened in the earliest stages of my life that have led to a confusing jumble of thoughts and emotions and impulses. And it's that jumble I wrestle with all the time, trying to straighten out the crooks and the bends in what should be part of a straightforward, more sane consciousness, but is instead a really wicked deterrent to what most of us would describe as normal life. But knowing that, acknowledging it, even embracing it, those are the things that have led me to the place where I can actually address these struggles, think about them, talk about them, work to get to a more balanced existence. And here's the other thing. I know I'm not alone, not even close. For many, many reasons, lots of us are feeling bad these days. And many of us are saying that this is because of mental health concerns. 41% of people say, have, say they have anxiety uh, in 2019. 40% more people say they had anxiety in 2019 than had it in 1990. The U.S. Surgeon General's report says there's an epidemic of loneliness as only 39% of adults say they feel connected to other people. Deaths have followed these sentiments as suicide rates have increased about 
36% between 2000 and 2021, according to the Centers for Disease Control. And there are lots of reasons that people point to for this. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's our times with the pandemic and the isolation that we all suffered then. Others blame family dynamics and the way that politics have separated us from one another. As I've said, it's really hard to come up with a reason for these things, but it's recognition that matters. And if you think about it, it's almost impossible to know sometimes just how much somebody may be struggling. Think about me. You listen to this show. Many of you in the audience know me in other walks of my life. If I didn't tell you that I was someone who struggles with mental health, would you know it? The folks who run the Death, Sex, and Money podcast believe we're at a crisis point with our mental health, and they think our institutions are really unprepared to handle this expansive and weighty problem. That's where we begin the conversation today, talking about our mental health challenges now, how they've changed over time, why this topic has become so much more prominent over the last 10 years, and how people are trying to navigate it. I'm really pleased to welcome Anna Sale back to Detroit today. Anna, it's great to have you with us. Oh, Stephen, thank you having, for having me back. I love being on this show. Yes, it's great to have you here. So talk about this uh, idea that you have at Death, Sex, and Money, uh, having a national call-in show to have people talk about mental health. Well, I think you just really modeled what we're trying to do right there by beginning this conversation in the way that you did. You know, like if you listen to the news, if you read headlines, you know that mental health, mental health policy, uh, the overall stats for how we're doing with our mental health in America, they are not in a good place. Um, and what we wanted to do by having these call-ins was to have a series of conversations where we really swap stories among us um, about how this is unfolding in each of our lives and our families' lives, um, the, the advice we have to share from navigating the labyrinth of the mental health care system, the questions we have, and also kind of like what you just said that we're jumble like i think there's there's a lot of questions that each of us are walking around with of what what of what i'm experiencing is a normal part of life of taking in negative emotions and figuring out how to deal with them and and what is a diagnosable treatable condition um, and often, you know, it's both and, and hmm. often it's not clear um, what the correct intervention is. So it's, we really wanted to sort of gather together um, because we do believe that we are in a mental health crisis in America. And we also believe that there's not only one kind of response that's going to help us out of this. Like it's going to take not just um, figuring out and better equipping each of us to navigate through the mental health care system and making sure our, our health care system is 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 more designed to help families make one phone call to get the right kind of care. 
but also how do we sort of reinforce and strengthen the social connections outside of the healthcare system um, to help each of us thrive a little better. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you talk about this being uh, more than just one kind of issue. It's a social issue. It is a medical issue. It is a cultural issue in in, in some ways. It, it, it seems like uh, when you start kind of peeling back the layers or pulling it apart, um, you, you find that it this reaches into every part of, of people's lives. And again, what I said about the recognition that's necessary to be able to do that, we, we just don't often, we don't have it. We don't have it about other people, but we also don't always have it about ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that recognition of of just being able to say, I'm struggling and I need some additional help. I need some outside help. Like that's a really important recognition, Um, but it's just the start. You know, I think often when someone is just beginning to, uh, whether it's seeking therapy or seeking, going to the primary care doctor and and thinking about medication for the first time, um, you know, that is just the beginning of, of an ongoing continuous management project. Um, so just the recognition that you're struggling and or maybe you find a name for something that that feels like an ongoing underlying condition that's a part of your makeup. Um, you have to figure out still how to live with that makeup. There aren't there aren't very, um, you know, often in America, we talk about hacks and cures mm-hmm. and what's the intervention that's going to fix this thing. Um, and as anyone who's struggled with uh, mental illness knows, or or just you know struggled with suffering that comes from not feeling like they're they're as mentally healthy as they want to, it's not something that you can you can flip a switch and and fix. Yeah. So on your podcast, Death, Sex, and Money, you really lean into these kinds of conversations, and I I wonder what your observations are about how they're changing, uh, how they're changing in terms of what people may be dealing with, uh, but also how they're changing in terms of how people decide to deal with these things. It seems like there's kind of a two-track uh, transition, I guess that that we're that we're experiencing right now. Yeah, I mean, I think this conversation is evidence of um, there is, uh, you know, and has been a, a growing willingness culturally for people to name when they are struggling with their mental health, um, and I think that is healthy. Um, Alongside that, you know, you only have to open up TikTok and see that, uh, you know, there's a lot of conversation of like, maybe I have this or maybe I have this or I have this because I have this happening to me. And it and I think um, I often kind of picture like a podcast listener who also opens up TikTok think, or goes to WebMD thinking, huh, do I have this thing? Is this a name? Is this a, a, a label that that feels right for myself? And that's kind of like a a process that is both like taking in outside external um, information, but then just kind of being alone and processing it. Um, so I think what we wanted to do with this call in was to to gather up calls. And I'm also going to be joined by experts who are trained mental health professionals. I'm a journalist. I'm not a trained mental health professional. Um, just to help people unpack 
all that's coming at them in terms of how they think of their own mental health. Mm -hmm. um, what does it mean? Is this something that is a result of some uh, factor in my life that is temporary? Is it something that is changing about my body because of my age and how my hormones are changing? Is this something that, uh, you know, is hereditary in my family? And I'm the first member of my family to admit that I think we have a tendency towards depression. Like all of these things are part of figuring out how to take care of your mental health. And so we wanted to create just some space to talk together where it wasn't so much kind of um, picturing people just kind of on their own taking in all these messages mm -hmm. we wanted to have a little bit more conversation back and forth yeah yeah okay we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to continue this conversation with anna sale who's the host of the death sex and money podcast on wnyc we'll continue talking about mental health awareness month here in may and the three national call-in shows that death sex and money will host uh, during May. We also want to get going with you, our listeners, on the phones and on social call and tell us whether mental health is something that you have struggled with. Uh, why do you think it has become such a big topic in the last five years? What kind of help do you think people need uh, to help with their mental health issues? Uh, also give us a sense of if you're someone who struggles with mental health, how you find relief, how easily you're able to find relief. Are there challenges and barriers uh, that stand in your way? We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined us today. Our guest is Anna Sale. She is the host of the Death, Sex, and Money award-winning podcast on WNYC. She is hosting three live national call-in shows about mental health, and we're talking about the uh, the need to talk about mental health, the need to be honest about mental health and the struggles that uh, many of us endure and experience and what we need to do to get people to be more uh, more eager uh, to to recognize uh, mental health and mental health struggles, uh, but also to to get help when uh, when they need it. Let's start today with Bernadette in Old Redford. Bernadette, go ahead. Good morning. Um, I think that you cannot be a citizen of this country uh, and not go crazy because <laughs> the pandemic uh, uh, where we are wondering if at least I was wondering if I was just looking out my picture window and wondering if our, uh, if the hearse was coming for me. People that I knew or knew of uh, were dying. Old movie stars, they're dying. And it, it was just depressing, not debilitating, but depressing. And some anti-anxiety um, uh, medications uh, that I've tried, low doses, seem to give me night terrors. Mm. So, mm. you know, I just kind of like to cool out my nerves. 
<laughs> Bernadette, I, I, I love that you call and, and I love uh, how frank you are about about what you're dealing with. Uh, Anna, I, I, I hear echoes in what Bernadette is saying uh, of things I hear from lots of people these days about these kind of struggles. Yeah, you know, one of the things we did ahead of this call in is we asked therapists who listen to our podcast to be our reporters and to and to call in and leave us messages about what they're noticing, about what they're hearing at work. Um, and they echoed Bernadette uh, a lot of uh, just the pandemic left so many of us just ragged and alone feeling and overwhelmed and kind of the sense that we're all sort of piece by piece trying to crawl our, our way back. And of course, we'll never be the same having gone through it, especially those who who experienced profound loss through the pandemic. Um, but but then again, as what Bernadette just said, like, you know, so so then what? So then do you try anti-anxiety medication? See if that helps. You know, it's it's always just kind of it, that's what I think is so challenging about managing our mental health is that that just begins a conversation, maybe not just with a counselor or a therapist, but with your doctor, maybe with, you know, members of your community, members of your church, people who are at your school. You know, how do I build back um, an ecosystem uh, to help me? To help me sort of get through the challenges that life life throws at us, and and that's for someone who who doesn't have a a, a um, profound serious mental illness, you know that 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 is on top, you know that presents a whole other list of challenges mm-hmm. of how to how to um, manage that. But Bernadette, I I think that a lot of people feel the way you do. Thanks for calling in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, On Twitter, we've got a couple comments. Dan says, I'm right there with you in my own challenges with mental health. Encouraged by general raised awareness of this condition, concerned that higher awareness gets distorted by knee-jerk reactions of politicians and media to mass shootings as caused by mental health problems. That's an interesting uh, observation Uh, Boomi on Twitter says, I think part of what is adding to the mental health issues in America since the 90s is, and maybe even before, that is that the government often has done the opposite of what is popular with public opinion and the constant state of war we've been in. That's another really interesting uh, observation. Let's go next to Christina in Ferndale. Christina, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. So I have a u- unique situation. My father was a school psychologist for almost mm-hmm. 40 years before he retired. My family has never spoken about mental health ever. Mm. So <laughs> it's very ironic. <laughs> and my, my entire family has struggled with mental health our whole lives. And 2011, my sister committed suicide, and it completely oh. tore my family apart. Oh, dear. And we still have never talked, frankly, about mental health, even with him being in, not the industry, but doing his work for the schools. Um, after that, I became estranged from my father because he would not get help himself when he truly was the one who needed it most. <laughs> Wow. Christina, um, I mean, that's such a heart-wrenching story. I mean, it's awful. Um, uh, uh, tell me about uh, now for you and I, I guess the way that you've 
maybe found substitutes for the support of your family in, in trying to deal with this? Well, friends have 100% been my family. Our community in Ferndale is amazing. We've made great friends that we consider family. It took me eight years of having children and just trying to do it on my own because I don't trust, unfortunately, the mental health community, and it's been really hard. And with the lack of people able to, waiting for for mental health therapists being on wait lists for three, four months and then not feeling the fit, it's exhausting. I finally went, it took eight years and finally reaching my breaking point in around August, September this year to just go to my primary care and say, I need help. And I was put on Lexapro. Mm. It took so long because I even finally went to a psychiatrist and they were like, why are you here? And I'm like, I don't want to be on medication. And I think it's this still the stigma of being on medication. I want it. I'm a strong woman. I want to do things on my own. I have always done it. I just couldn't anymore. And good for you for, for demanding, you know, for yourself that, that there be some kind of, of relief. Uh, Christina, I'm really, really glad you called. Uh, Anna Sale, I wonder what your reaction is uh, to Christina's story. I just thank you so much for sharing. I I, I think that that is um, you, you. I think you're both modeling the hope you're, you're, you, about what happens when you finally say, "I really need somebody to give me some kind of next step." And that happened with your primary care doctor. And you're also sh- echoing back to us like how long that took, you know, um, and, and the difficulty of sometimes finding that right intervention, you know, you describe going to that psychiatrist's office and it not feeling like the right fit or not finding the support that you expected in your family or, or with a mental health professional who was your father. And, and I think that that is um, kind of just like what is so heavy and difficult about taking care of our mental health is it's like at a moment when we are maybe our reserves are not what we want them to be. Um, it can take trying again and again and again before you find that right kind of support yeah. that helps you move to the next step. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, Christina, really appreciate the call and wish you all all the, the, the good fortune to, to continue to, to deal with uh, with these with these issues, not just for you, but but also for uh, for your family. Let's go next to Jim in Detroit. Jim, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. Um, I want to thank you um, and your guest for this topic, and thank you especially for um, sharing your personal story. Um, I am uh, I've had mental illness in my immediate family since I was fourteen. I have a sibling that was started experience psychological um, schizophrenia, um, paranoid delusions when I was a teenager. Um, and I have another sibling that has schizoaffective disorder that mm-hmm. won't take responsibility for it and has been violent, has attacked family members, um, and have we have worked for years to try and get him help. And it is so difficult Um this, the, the important thing that I think people have realized over the past several years is that mental illness is just like any other physical illness, like cancer, heart disease, 
It has to be addressed. Um, our government needs to do more. There was a lot that was cut, um, I believe, under the Engler administration in terms of support. Yes. Um, but it's the responsibility of all of us, especially those of us that have mental illness. And I've, I've dealt with major depressive disorder myself. Um, and it's, so it's the responsibility of all of us that deal with it um, to take ownership of it and get the help we need and for those around us that love us, our support network, mm. to, to recognize that it well, as well. And it takes strength to get help. Yeah. It yeah. takes strength to battle mental illness. So I just wanted to call in and thank you and your guest for addressing this topic. Yeah. No, Jim, I really, I really do appreciate that. And you said a number of things that I think are really, uh, really important about strength and and about the responsibility. I think that uh, that all of us have or can take to to lift these things up and and put them out front so that people. Um, so that people feel more comfortable about uh, talking about them and dealing with them, but also can more easily uh, uh, find help. Uh, and one of the things that uh, you and I have talked about before is the impact of civic organizations like churches and blocks, block clubs, uh, the other places that we belong on uh, on that ability to lift people up and to edify people to be able to say, Hey, uh, um, I'm having a problem, and and I need and I need some help. We are seeing the erosion of a lot of those institutions, and Jim brought up also the erosion of the mental health uh, system here in Michigan, which is a tragic story. Uh, more than 30 years old, uh, we just dismantled it here, really, um, and left lots of people to fend for themselves. But there, these other institutions also are struggling, and and I wonder how much connection there is. Uh, between that and the increase we see in the difficulties that folks are having. I, I mean, I think it's all part of, of the water we're swimming in. And I think that that's something that the Surgeon General talked about in his report about uh, loneliness as a public health emergency in the report that he just put out. And that's very much connected to um, our ability to thrive um, with our mental health and, and how loneliness also affects our physical health. And he wrote a lot about social connections and needing to tend to those social connections, not just because they would be a nice thing to have, but because it keeps us healthy. Um, and as those erode, we become less healthy. Um, I do want to mention a few things that I, that, that, that are new, mm -hmm. um, because so often, you know, the mental health system in our country is a mess and it has been for decades. Um, and and uh, somebody mentioned um, mass shootings and, mm -hmm. and gun violence. Um, a major investment uh, in our mental health system was made in the bipartisan gun legislation that passed last year. It's not enough but it is something um, focused on youth and also focused on community health behavioral, community-based behavioral health centers. Um, and the other thing that's new that just started last summer, you might've heard of 988. It's this new phone number you can call. It's what you hear instead of the, the 800 number for the suicide prevention hotline. And what that is, is this trying to give people one easy to remember number to call 
when you have an emergency and you need a crisis intervention, um, but also a way to connect with someone who knows about the local mental health resources where you live. Um, 988 is a way. It was an attempt to give people a place to call as an alternative to 911. Um, when you call 988, you are reaching people who are trained mm -hmm in how to be the intervention in a mental health emergency. So you could talk for 45 minutes, two hours, if you feel like you were in crisis. And, and that alone might be, for the moment, um, the care you need. Um, but then they can also connect you to what's available in your community. In a lot of communities, there are not enough resources, um, but that is one new step that just started last year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Jim, really appreciate the call. Uh, and the very frank uh, discussion about these issues. Uh, let's go next to David in Ann Arbor. David, what's on your mind? Uh, good morning. Um, I'd like to point out that um, struggles with mental illness um, can be both a cause and effect of um, a, a specific mental illness, and that is substance abuse disorder. And we have an opioid epidemic in this country, mm -hmm. and... Um, you know, a lot of people, not everybody who has struggled with mental illness um, will do this, but some people, for example, with anxiety or depression um, may self-medicate. And that means using perhaps prescription drugs at first and then moving on to, um, you know, street drugs. And that's a cause, part of our, our problem here. And an effect is that affects the users themselves. Obviously, they have a disorder. Um, but also friends and family, okay? There are cases where, you know, we lose over 120,000 people in this country every year to opioid or drug overdoses. Um, that's something like 40 times more than we lost on 9-11 on an annual basis. Um, we have a severe lack of treatment facilities for people who want to get treatment. So uh, insurance might cover a week, two weeks in a treatment facility, when in fact, to be effective, it will take months, if not a year or more. So um, this is just another layer of our mental health crisis. Mm. And I want to point out that we, I believe we have a tsunami occurring silently in our society. And that is because right now, all these people that are dying, a lot of them have family members. A lot of them have children who are really traumatized by this and end up being raised by other people. Mm. And, you know, these people are going to have their own issues when they get older. They've got their genetic predisposition to using drugs is there. They've experienced trauma. They may be growing up in less than uh, optimum conditions because they've been placed with someone else. Um, and I just think uh, as a society, we really need to look at that and address it. It's getting increasingly worse every day if you read the headlines. Yeah. Any comments you have on that would be welcome. Yeah, David, I really appreciate the call. Uh, Anna, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is... That is another, uh, when you look at the statistics of overdose, overdose deaths and, and how they continue to go up, um, that is another indication of uh, the failures of our mental health system um, and, and also the profound need to figure out new ways to have interventions that layer um, on, on all those myriad ways that they affect, not just someone who struggles with, with substance abuse, but the people who love them. Um, and that gets to the social safety net, that gets to um, secure housing, that gets to um, enough money to cover basic needs. Um, and also that question of, uh, you know, this is, I don't have an answer for this, but um, that profound question of uh, who gets to decide um, when somebody uh, needs to be forced into treatment. Mm -hmm. um, 
and and that is a legal question um, and one that families wrestle with. Um, it's not an easy answer, but I, absolutely, um, when you look at the substance uh, use disorder um, prevalence in our country, this is all part of the part of the same thing. Okay, we need to take uh, another quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue this conversation with Anna Sell of the Death, Sex and Money podcast from WNYC. Also continue to hear from you, our listeners on the phones and on social. Dan in Southfield, Ken in Troy, Melissa in Metro Detroit, Robert in Troy. You'll be up next if you want to join them. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Sale with us today. She's the host of Death, Sex, and Money, an award-winning podcast on WNYC in New York. Also, uh, talking with you, our listeners, about mental health today. We want to hear from you about whether you're struggling with mental health, whether some of the things that have happened in the last few years, the pandemic, for instance, uh, is an aggravator in in your mental health, is making things harder to manage and to deal with. Also, give us a sense of what you do to try to make that better. Where do you find relief uh, and are there barriers that you find to the kind of things that you need? Anna, before we get back to our listeners, I do want to talk just a little about what you are seeing. When, When you talk with people about really hard things, the people who seem most balanced and who recognize the problems they have, what do they have in common? What are they doing? Uh, what are they thinking of that keeps them, I guess, in touch with who they are and those around them and gives them some of this relief? You know, it sounds simple, but I would say, you know, over the years interviewing people about really tough isolating difficult moments in life the thing that i hear over and over again as a as a moment where something shifted is when they found someone to talk to who they felt could understand mm-hmm. you know whether that's somebody you know who's struggling with their gender identity and then they find someone who they feel like gets it or whether it's somebody um you know who's who's lost someone in a terrible accident and is struggling with grief and they and they find somebody to talk to where they get to express all of the different ways that grief can manifest in our life. You know, um, I, I, I think that there's there's not one thing, but that that experience of feeling at least like you are not alone in the 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 profound depths of what you're feeling mm-hmm. that somebody else it's familiar to them too um that takes a really that takes part of the edge off you know and then they have somebody to talk to about and now what you know um i i in my own life i i have been so helped by kind of like the willingness for friends to say, oh yeah, I know what that was like. You know, I, oh, I, I, and let me tell you about my therapist. I mean, I have found 
mental health support through a network of, of friends way more than I have by going to psychology today and looking up a therapist and trying to find the right fit. You know, I, I really think that once there's this sort of openness around, oh, how have you dealt with when that when that's come up for you? Or mm -hmm. what was it like for you after you went through pregnancy? Like just that sense of like feeling like something that you're struggling with is a little more normalized. Um, that helps you move to the next step. Yeah. Uh, and, and that gets back to this idea of community, how important community is. And I mean that in a very broad sense, um, you know, the different communities that we belong to, uh, each of them, I think, has some opportunity to provide us with that kind of that kind of support. And as we see people withdraw more from community and uh, find it more difficult to find community with uh, everyone else, I, I, I guess I, I worry uh, again about about how people how people make it, how people find these things, these commonalities, these connections that uh, that you're talking about, Anna. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're making me think about a conversation I just had with this woman, Danielle Munoz, who works um, in student affairs at Cal State Long Beach. And um, she works at something called the Center for Basic Needs. And it's this place on campus where if you're feeling like you need help figuring out how to get um, food stamps or if you're, if you're housing insecure, it's this one place on campus where you can come. And what was really interesting to talk to her about was like, how how great that is that there's one place when you are in not just like mental health crisis but life crisis there's one door to walk through mm -hmm. and then there are people who can help you navigate the system of support that's available to you i think once you're not on a college campus um it can be really hard to find those people who can help you navigate the available supports that there are out there. Um, and, and that is a way, you know, I, I think that for a lot of us, there is help available, but it can be so difficult to figure out where it is and how it gets paid for. Yeah. Let's go to Ken in Troy. Ken, welcome to the show. Thank you. And uh, Anna, Anna and Stephen, I appreciate your time. And I thought the comments from Dave and Bernadette and and Christina, we're so salient. Um, and thanks to, to Christina for all she's done for the Ferndale. Um, my my comments are are that I mean I have a few of them. Um, number one, I, I see I see two central problems, and one of them is that there's some victim blaming going on here. Hmm. Um, are 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 we challenged with our mental health? Are we struggling with our mental health, as I've heard said today, or is our mental health in fact? struggling with what's what's happening in our society right now and i look i look at i look at you know the, the run-up to world war ii for example and i wonder you know how how did those people deal with what they were seeing at the time the rise of fascism and and economic pressures which they were suffering from as well which we are right now too and and i wonder you know my two my two questions are the can a society can can our culture possibly have the resources to deal with problems of that scale, you know, mental health issues that are occurring in, in, in what probably amounts to the majority mm -hmm. of, of the populace. And then secondly, you know, when, when, will we, when will we start looking at solving the problems of, of people with assault weapons shooting up school children right. and, and, uh, you know, a, a complete mishandling of the pandemic and, and the rise of fascism in our own country. How, what, what, what role does that play in actually solving the problem that's mm. causing the problem? Yeah. 
Ken, uh, I, I really love the way you put that, and and that's kind of looking at this in a really layered, a really layered way. Anna, what's what's the answer to Ken's questions? Yeah, I mean, what I hear you saying, Ken, is you know maybe a lot of the ways that we're feeling, which might look like. Um, and might feel like we're struggling with mental health. Maybe that's a very rational response to what is happening in the world around us. And, and it made me think about um, the mental health crisis among teenagers right now. I mean, there was a, a report that came out in February that three in five teen girls in the US in 2021 reported feeling persistently sad or hopeless. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are, these are young people mm -hmm. um, and, you know, what, what is that about? What what are they what are they responding to about the world that we have raised them in, um, where more than half feel persistently sad or hopeless? Um, how have we failed them, and what is the proper response to that? Um, and and I think it's it's not simple, um, but it is. It, 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 there's a there's a new book called The Emotional Lives of Teenagers by by a woman named Lisa Demore that. that that she's, we're featuring her on the Colin special. And in this book, she talks about, um, you know, that there's this twofold thing happening. There is at once a mental health crisis among adolescents that is an emergency. Mm -hmm. um, and also um, emotional distress is not something that adults in their lives need to protect teenagers from. Instead, it's about how do we help our teenagers um, uh, deal with emotional distress in healthy ways? And then how do we notice when they are not capable of doing that and when when we need to bring in more interventions? So it's, it's kind of like a both and. It could be a rational response to something that is happening and um, you need professional help sometimes and you also need to not uh, try to to protect teenagers from feelings of deep sadness or anger, for example, like that, that is part of the developing teenage brain is strong emotions. Um, so I thought that was interesting because I think for parents, if you know these statistics, you might look at your teenager having really intense feelings and thinking, oh, how do I stop this? Mm. Um, and, and it's not about stopping the feelings. It's about, um, it's about talking about the feelings and then that that hard puzzle of when is when is this tipping over into something where we need additional mental health support and intervention and and um you know signs of underlying mental illness that could use more treatment yeah yeah uh ken really appreciate the call again let's go next to mary agnes in rochester welcome to the show Hi. Hi. Um, I just wanted to make a couple quick comments. Um, family history, bipolar, okay. So when we were involved with this family member, multiple suicide attempts, young person, very, you know, successful in many ways. Mm. Um, and his life, he kind of crashed and burned. We found... So much help with NAMI, which is, mm. and I can't get the acronym right. Your, your host or your guest will probably know. <laughs> Mental health in our area that had meetings, and I went with family member, and we sat around the table with trained facilitators, 
And it was like, oh, my gosh. Hmm. And they give you resources for whatever, you know, if it's finance or, you know, somebody doesn't have a home. And the other thing is, um, for me, I went to church. Hmm. And that was a huge support. I wasn't praying for, like, a, a you know, magic cure, whatever. <laughs> Just strength. Yeah. That's it for the Detroit Today podcast. You like this show. You get a lot out of it. You ought to be sharing it. Share it with your friends and your neighbors, your relative, anyone you think would enjoy it and would add to this community that we're building here. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And our student producer is Mira Kumar. Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. We'll see you next time on the Detroit Today podcast. To helping people with mental health, but then, as she said, she goes to church. Community. She is leaning into to, to both of those spaces, and that is that is really the key for a lot of folks. Yeah, I mean, the thing that's really special about NAMI is how much it's made up of people who um, have loved people who've experienced profound mental illness. And so you will find other family members. Um, you will find people who know what you've gone through um, and they have local chapters so you can find somebody who lives near you. Um, but I, I also think the thing that, that about church, it's not just community and it's not just a place to pray. Um, you can also ask for pastoral counseling. Maybe you're not sure if you can find a counselor who your insurance is going to cover and figure out how to do therapy, but like there's somebody to talk to at church. Um, and it's just, again, one other tool in the toolbox um, that when you, if you just can create that openness um, and, 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 and take that step in a relationship to say, can I talk to you about something um, that I'm struggling with? Um, that can be, it can be really meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to take one more call before we have to end the show. Amelia in Dearborn Heights. Uh, I've only got about a minute left, but go ahead. Are you there, Amelia? Nope. I don't think we have Amelia. Sorry. Muted. Oh, go ahead. Um, I was just going to say that um, a lot of the callers have already said some version of what I was going to say, but as someone who has been on antidepressants and not found them very helpful, and also as someone who is a therapist, um, Hmm. I think it's really important, um, the conversations that you guys have had today and that callers have brought up of looking upstream um, because both for the mental health problems that a lot of us have and also um, for the provider shortage in mental health. Um, You know, I think a lot of the problem is upstream in the social problems that we just refuse to solve as a culture. Yeah. Uh, Amelia, I I really appreciate you bringing up that point that mental, the, the, the shortage of mental health providers is another real aggravator uh, in this, in this, uh, in this, in this issue, uh, Anna, it's uh, it makes it more difficult for people to find help. Yeah, I mean, and there's nothing more frustrating than finally being ready to make that call to try to get some help, and then ending up at a dead end or a really long wait list, mm-hmm. or finding out that uh, it's going to be an out-of-pocket expense that you just can't afford. I mean, that is a a, a very a real issue, um, access to mental health help when you are ready. Um, so again, it's about looking at all the possible, it's looking at the closest relationships you have, it's talking to your doctor, it's looking at the community supports available to you. And again, it's both and, both and, both and. It's not just one fix. Yeah, yeah. Anna Sale, it was uh, really great to have you here. 
That's it for the Detroit Today podcast. You like this show, you get a lot out of it. You ought to be sharing it. Share it with your friends and your neighbors, your relatives, anyone you think would enjoy it and would add to this community that we're building here. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. We'll see you next time on the Detroit Today podcast.